Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spirit Seeker Hour. Spirit Seeker Hour is your chance to delve into the world of your inner spirit. The Spirit Seeker Hour is brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. Go to www.spiritseeker.com to find out more. And now, here's Cindy Meyer. Spirit Seeker Hour brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. And um, as the intro said, you can read the magazine online at www.spiritseeker.com. Tonight we are going to have a two-hour show, uh, and we are probably going to be doing two-hour shows um, on a regular basis because there are so many people doing fabulous work uh, throughout the world. You know, we interview a lot of people from the U.S., but we're actually interviewing um, more and more authors and people from Canada and into Europe because guess what? The whole world is awake right now. So tonight we are going to be hearing about shamanism by Dana Robinson, and then um, we will, then the second part of the show will start at 8 o'clock, and that will uh, be hearing from Dr. Eric Pearl with the reconnection and his latest book, Solomon Speaks. So it is you know, exciting for me to um, interview Dana Robinson. I've heard about him many, many um, years over the years and always good things. Uh, and he and his wife are doing this fabulous work. And so tonight you can um, press 1 on your phone and um, that will let my uh, producer know that you have a, a question. So if you've always wanted to know, uh, you know, if you've heard of shamanism or you have a particular question as we go along, um, that's all you have to do is just press one on your phone and then my producer will uh, bring you onto the call. So Dana, are you there? Yes, I am, Cindy. How are you oh, tonight? You know what? I, I'm a little rushed. <laughs> <laughs> we to, to be to be totally honest, we were stuck in traffic and it's raining in St. Louis and I left my cell phone at home and I thought, Oh my goodness, am I going to make it on the air? So I had my son's cell phone poised. But other than that, Dana, I am fabulous. <laughs> Good, just high stress and uh, uh, having a nervous are. breakdown, but uh, other than that you're doing great. Everything other than that, everything's fine. But well, we're not having rain here in uh, the eastern shore of Maryland. It's uh, the most perfect day, cloudless. Oh. Uh, the highs around uh, mid seventies, and the low tonight will be in the low fifties. And it's wow. brilliant, and it's the most beautiful summer I can remember in uh, ever in fifty years here in uh, in Maryland. You know, we we had this summer. I actually wrote about this in my column. We had this summer that wasn't. You know, I mm-hmm. mean. Mm-hmm. Really, in June, the weather was, you know, so unusually cool. And um, But then, you know, I, I really shouldn't have probably complained because then we did go into the, the humid Midwest weather. But, yes, the weather patterns are all changing. It's in the 70s here in St. Louis, and it'll be in the 60s by tonight. So Yeah, fantastic. I know. Windows open. So. <laughs> I know. So, Dana, tell us mm-hmm. tell us how this journey started. Um, were you a young man who was oh. drawn to nature, or just you know share with us a snapshot so we can see into how how this work evolved with you? Okay. Well, now let's you know shamanism really is uh, probably the most ancient spiritual practice on the planet, and it's really all about 
direct contact with helping spirits that will enable the shaman to promote healing in other people, enable the shaman to get information through divination techniques, and that often involves consulting these wonderful, compassionate helping spirits that the shaman works with. And so it's uh, it's really all about spirituality. And I was drawn to spirituality uh, when I was a kid, I, I really a young man, uh, several years ago. And um, so I remember my parents uh, would not go to church, but I would unilaterally take myself to church because I knew that there was something there that was happening, something on the invisible level that was about uh, love, about power and uh, goodness. And so, um, you know, I think that feeling never left me. And um, as I grew older, um, I and in my teen years, I sort of forgot about that. But then in my 20s, particularly after reading the books of Carlos Castaneda, I was drawn to this other kind of spirituality. Now, of course, in Castaneda's books, and I, I read the first five, and then I kind of lost interest in what he was uh, writing about, Um uh, those those five books are <clears throat> take place in the, the Sonoran Desert. It's really about the natural world and spirits in, in the middle world, and um, and and in the shamanism that we teach at the Foundation for Shamanic Studies, we focus on the great compassion and wise spirits that dwell in what we call the lower world and the upper world. But that spirit and that Castaneda's. Uh, spirituality was really about sorcery, and so a, a much different kind of slant than um, w what my interest was, but yet it was exciting to read about that. So I had this interest in visions, in, in direct spiritual contact, and finally, Michael Harner came along at just the right time in my life, and um, that was back in 1981, and I took the basic workshop, which is the first workshop that anyone would take with the Foundation for Shamanic Studies, which Michael Harner founded. And uh, and Michael Harner's still alive, and his latest book just came out, his first book in 30 years, Cave and Cosmos, a tremendous book that explains a lot about shamanism. But in that basic workshop in 1981, which, by the way, Cindy, I remember uh, very clearly, even though it was some time ago, I was introduced to the experience of direct contact with these wonderful spirits that offer people so much support. And uh, I would say that was a major turning point in my life. You know, the, the you just know, like, when... Uh, it's it's hard to put into words, but you just know when you're on the right path and, like, these doorways are starting to open, and you're like, oh, this. Yeah, absolutely. Now, actually, yeah, between, I mean, uh, be before running into Michael Harner, I also experienced uh, a lot of joy through uh, my involvement with charismatic Christianity because there's a lot of power there and there's a lot of love. And, uh, you know, I... I haven't turned my back on those experiences at all. I, but, but I think shamanism actually encompasses those experiences that I had uh, with charismatic Christianity. I also uh, uh, partook of the, the work of uh, Sri Bhagwan Rajneesh, now known as Osho, kind of a controversial figure, but uh, a very, very bright man who uh, developed... Um, 
some wonderful meditations that uh, we do even to this day occasionally, very active, even aerobic kinds of uh, meditations that really, really stir things up and are, are, right, are, are quite uh, purgative and transformational. So, and And yes, those seem right, but you know, after that first weekend with Michael Harner, I said, wow, this is something I really want to immerse myself in for a long, long time. And here we are 32 years later, and uh, it, I know, find it uh, continually interesting and satisfying. And, you know, I, I uh, owe a lot to my helping spirits who, um, fortunately for me, are on my side and help me, uh, I think, even when I don't know that they're helping me. Right. So that invisible um, power assisting that, that, you know, we know it's there. I mean, mm-hmm. but, um, but you know, I, the article that you contributed this month, I love the title, Shamanism for Creative Solutions. Mm-hmm. So I know you've been on this path for a long time, and I know you've taught over 400 workshops for the, oh. you know, the Institute, which is it pretty might be about amazing. Six- might be about six hundred, actually. <laughs> that's, that's a lot. Who's counting? <laughs> who's counting? Right? <laughs> well, to have your your mentor and teacher after thirty years pop out a new book, it's like you know something's changing because yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, and you know, so I'm really. Um, mm. I, I knew something happened in your childhood. I was like, okay, what? What? Stim- you know, and here you are. Okay, I'm gonna find find a way. I mean, I was the same way. You know, I would my I was raised in the Catholic faith, but if I ever had an opportunity to go to a friend's church, I'd be like, sure. You know, my parents would still have me insist. Well, that doesn't count if you went to the Lutheran church. You still have to go. You have to do both. You know, it was kind of an interesting intrigue. But but I learned things from my childhood with the the rosary beads. That then when I you know, found my way to Sufism beads and you know Hinduism beads. You know, the the prayer beads. I thought. This just feels so so you know familiar, shall we say, but yeah. but still earth based any kind of earth based spirituality, a lot of people have never experienced it. They've grown up in cities, they've grown up in houses, they go to work, you know I mean there are people who have never even camped and who have never been out underneath the stars, you know, so let's talk just a little bit about the the earth based part of shamanism hmm. well, let's see. Number one, I think the quintessential shaman understands that um, there's a sacredness to everything that is, you know, and so uh, and there is intelligence in in everything uh, that there is. Now, there's a poem that comes from um, the Chukchi people of Siberia. It's called uh, "Things the Shaman Sees," and um, <clears throat> Here, let me. It's the only poem I've ever memorized, and it will take one minute to say it. So bear with me. No. But it really gives you an idea of the connection between the shaman and uh, uh, the world around the shaman. It goes something like this: On a steep river bank, there's a voice that speaks. I've seen the master of that voice. He bowed to me. I spoke with him. He answers all of my questions. Everything that is is alive. Little gray bird, little blue breast, sings in a hollow bow. She calls her spirits, dances, sings her shaman songs. Woodpecker on a tree, he's got a drum. And the tree 
shakes, cries out like a drum, when the axe bites its side. All these things answer my call. Everything that is, is alive. The lantern walks around. The walls of this house have tongues. Even this bow has its own true home. The hides asleep in their bags were up talking all night. Antlers on the graves rise and circle the mounds while the dead themselves get up and go visit the living ones. Everything that is, is alive. Now, and everything that is has intelligence. You know, the walls of this house have tongues. I can talk to the walls. Now, if I'm talking to the walls 24 hours a day, probably I have a problem. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm certainly not paying the rent, okay? So I've got to pay the rent. I've got to take care of ordinary reality. But, But the shaman is someone who understands that we're not alone. In fact, We've got company everywhere, and there's intelligence everywhere. And so, of course, this engenders a, a tremendous respect for all living things, and, of course, everything that is is alive. So you respect your automobile, you respect your garden, you respect the squirrels, and so on and so forth. And so, you know, I remember, and I, I don't think I've ever said this to anyone, I remember when I was uh, probably eight or so, now my father was a career army officer. We moved around a lot. And moved and lived in some pretty interesting places in Germany and the Azores, right in the middle of the Atlantic wow. Ocean, and so on and so forth. Yeah, and um, Tidewater, Virginia. We lived in the woods for three years, so uh, these things have an effect on a young person. But I remember in our travels, uh, we were visiting a friend of my parents while we were en route to some place. And um, they had a collie dog. And I remember just playing with the dog, running around. And I really, really understood that he understood so much and had such intelligence. Plus, you know, such a beautiful heart. And um, when I think about the quintessential shaman, I think about someone who uh, understands these things, but also has a very big heart, wants to help other people and has and understands that he or she can be a conduit, we say the hollow bone or the hollow tube, between the people, and by the people I mean the birds, the humans, the the ones with the, the uh, who swim underwater, the trees and so on and so forth, the people and the spirits. And uh, the shaman can be the, the instigator, we could say almost the carrier of the healing, uh, the orchestrator, in some ways, of the healing that the spirits provide the people. So, wow. Yeah, where do you go with that? You know, I mean, it's... Well, now, yeah. <laughs> you know, what would you, you just realize that everything is part of everything. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you know? Probably. Yeah, well, you know, hey, listen, my, one of my favorite lines in, in all the movies that I've seen, I've seen, you know, thousands. I don't see modern movies but, but particularly, but uh, in um, Play Misty for me with that Clint Eastwood thing yes. filmed out in Carmel, California. Pretty scary movie, wonderful. His fellow DJ comes on the air and says, hey, and he's just the jazziest kind of guy, African-American guy playing this jazz. And he says, hey, everything is everything. You know, <laughs> it's just such a great right. line because it's right. so true. It's all, we're all, and especially 
these times, you know, where, you know, it used to be, I mean, I remember Carlos Castaneda's books because I worked in this bookstore when I was like, you know, um, in high school. And, and, you know, that's how I moved out of St. Louis is I actually helped open a bookstore north of Chicago. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, you know, 18 years old. I mean, I, and I just loved books. And at that time we could get any book that we wanted that was in paperback. We just ripped the cover off and the, and the cover would be sent back to the publisher and they'd get credit. So we mm-hmm. as, you know, um, employees, for B. Dalton booksellers. Got to, I mean, the the people who helped me move <laughs> in my 20s were like, mm-hmm. how can anyone have so many books? But they were my mm-hmm. friends, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, Siddhartha, Herman Hess, you know, all, you know, Atlas Shrugged. I mean, all of the books that, you know, just kind of spoke to you. And I can remember Carlos Castaneda. I mean, the covers were actually beautiful, too, you know? Oh, they and, were. Yeah. Yeah, they were. Yeah. yeah, and it was like, you know, Very that hard. was like Eric Byrne and, you know, Maxwell Maltz and all. That was like when people really started waking up, shall we say. Well, it was quite a time, and uh, anyone who's listening now um, who um, isn't old enough to remember those times or uh, was born after those times, I have to say those really were the days. And uh, because uh, change... Uh, evolution, uh, uh, spirit, uh, spiritual uh, seeking and 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 uh, experimentation. Of course, the hallucinogens were opening people's minds at the time too. I mean, it, it was a, such a time of ferment. It was so exciting. The the, the rock music, as as people uh, looking back on that time now say, would say, you know, there were there were like four or five albums a week coming out that were absolutely incredible, and now it's like one or two a year. I used so, to ride my bicycle two miles to go by 45s when they first came out. Like, you know, and I remember the Jimi Hendrix, the Doors. I mean, I mean, I. I, you know, I remember seeing Emerson, Lincoln Palmer and Cat Stevens and, you know, just like crying because the music spoke to you, you know, in yeah. a way that, you know, I mean, and I know the young people today have, ha- I mean, I have a 15 year old, you know, and I have kids mm. and, you know, stepkids in their 40s that I raised. And so it's like, you know, it's just interesting. And, you know, my mother, I was very blessed with parents who love music. So I grew up with Ray Charles and the Ink Spots and, you know, Ray Connick. And, I mean, I grew up with having a fabulous stereo. And my, uh, But my mother, when Pink Floyd came out, she loved Pink Floyd. I was mm-hmm. like, I was like yeah. you know, it was kind of interesting that I had a mother who loved Pink Floyd, you know. And, well, she understood quality, you know. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. quality is quality. I mean, so, Moody yeah, Blues, but on we go, huh? yes. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, you know, don't forget the Beatles, please. Oh, please. Yeah. I remember I was like, you know, eight years old and my, we was at my, the Valentis, my cousins, and my my cousin says, we have to watch this. We have to watch this, you know, and everybody, Ed Sullivan, black and white TVs, here we are. And it's like, you knew in that moment, I mean, I saw them the first time they were on that TV. You knew in that moment that things, that was it. Everything changed. <laughs> you know right, what I mean? I know Ed, you know what I mean. The so, Ed Sullivan show, yeah, right. The first, right. yeah. I mean, he found talent that, you know, was just amazing. <laughs> so for you, here you are, this young man seeking, looking, and, and the charismatic uh, Christianity. I mean, my my mother um, had cancer in 1978, and then she had mm-hmm. it again in 1979. But in 78, she was told um, that she needed to have chemo one week out of every month, 
for two years and all this other stuff. She um, had the faith healers, the, the charismatic healers from the Catholic Church come and pray for her right there in the middle of this hospital room. Mm-hmm. And the next day, after she had one chemotherapy treatment, she said, anything that makes me this sick is not good for me. I'm done. Mm-hmm. And she's, she lived like, you know, another 30 years after that or something. And so, fantastic. But it was the faith healers, and she had full faith. And these charismatic, and what was uh, Dr. McNutt or someone, I forget the name, but there was a, uh, I don't remember it, but there was a, a leader, and, and she read everything he wrote, and she just totally was full faith with it. And, you know, the doctor's office actually called her and called me and said, your mother is, you know, allowing these people to, like, dissuade her from she's going to die. And I said, you know what, if you call me again, I'm going to report you. Yeah. It's my mother's life. Mm-hmm. And if this is what she chooses, and I think this, you know, is probably her path to, like, you know, somehow demonstrate this full faith, you know. And and if it didn't, then that was her choice, too. But, but you know, I can understand, um, you know, that collective consciousness when people come together like that and, and, and you know, spirit steps in, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Well, now... Um... You know, I've learned so much from Michael Harner. He is my teacher with a what we call we'll say with a capital T here in the what we call the middle world for sure. And uh I really learned so much from him and and uh he he makes a point of saying, you know, the shaman works on the spirit level to promote healing, but they they understand the benefit, at least uh, the benefit of a holistic approach. So the shaman takes care of the spiritual side of healing, and uh, the MDs or the acupuncturists or, let's see, the chiropractors, uh, the Reiki practitioners, and so on and so forth can take care of another side of the healing process. But then again, your mother made a uh, a major choice there. And, uh, you know, it reminds me of a guy, I won't mention any names, who had uh, a very serious cancer diagnosis, and he decided to absolutely uh, it, uh, not engage in any uh, standard approaches to uh, to healing, and he went uh, the spiritual approach solely, as I understand it, and uh, he was able to beat it. So, you know, and it's interesting, you know, some of those case studies where people pray in the present for people who were sick 10 years ago, and there's studies where uh, there's another group who weren't prayed for, and it so happens that <laughs> the group prayed for 10 years ahead of time in the future uh, that this group was affected very positively by those prayers that happened 10 years after. Yeah, I mean, this blows your mind, doesn't it? Well, because in spirit, there is no time. Mm-hmm. Well, there we go. And I mean, so, that sort of proves it, doesn't it? <laughs> right. It's It's like... Um, excuse me, in a nanosecond, 10 years can be lived or used. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, it's so interesting when I woke up this morning, um, you know, I, I, I normally, you know, set an alarm. I'll sometimes I'll set my phone, but I set this alarm and I don't know, I always wake up before it goes off. It's, you know, kind of like my, I'm on the cycles when I know I need to awaken. But today I woke up and at five o'clock it was working. I looked at it and then the next time I looked at it, it was completely blank. And I thought, hmm. is the electricity off? I didn't hear any storm. And I, so I reached over, I turned the light on, and I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. 
And then I thought, you know what, this is going to be that kind of a day. I just knew it. I was excited about the interviews tonight. I was excited about, you know, the the other things I had scheduled today. Even though I had some things in the last couple of days that were kind of dicey, shall we say, I have a 15-year-old. And, you know, mm-hmm. it brings lots of, lots of opportunities mm-hmm. for really looking at my stuff that's being reflected back. And so... Mm-hmm. And I thought, gosh, I gave my mom a hard time, you know, so, okay, I'm getting it back, okay, but how do I do it differently? But when that clock was off, I thought, you know what, you need to just throw this time out the window today because, mm-hmm. and it's interesting how all day, there, it, I knew I would be here on time. If I wasn't, I'd use the cell phone. But it was still just like this very out-of-the-box thing with time today. And I think that when you're talking about the middle worlds, and we're gonna, I would like you to elaborate, middle, lower, and upper worlds, and how all of these come together in the journeying, and and, mm-hmm, sure. um, and especially with this workshop that, you know, I want to mention that is coming, um, you teach them all over, it looks like, but, you know, we're lucky enough to have you in the Midwest in St. Louis, um, the first weekend in October, October 5th and 6th, but, That's you know, right. Dana, tell us, tell us what what the difference is in the world and what you do in these workshops where, because I, you know, I just know they're profound. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and you're going to be there. And so we really look forward to having you in the workshop is absolutely a go. And I have to tell you, we've had quite a good response to this workshop. So, uh, all, all systems are go. So now, you know, we could, uh, really give a definition of, of, what the shaman is, I think that's important to do. Now, for many years, I would give the following definition. Now, it's changed a little in light of uh, Michael Harner's thinking uh, that really uh, came out in uh, Cave and Cosmos, his, his latest book that actually came out just this past April. So, uh, in the past, I've defined a shaman as someone who utilizes an altered state of consciousness, which we can achieve in various ways. We use the 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 sonic driver, the monotonous percussion of the drum, a drum beat, to affect that change in consciousness. So the shaman, in his or her work, utilizes this change of consciousness, takes shamanic journeys, that is, leaves ordinary reality behind, flies or travels in one way or another, out to the spirit worlds, specifically the lower world and the upper world, but we could also say the middle world, the middle world being the the uh, spiritual component of the physical universe. We'll talk about the upper and lower worlds in a moment. And, okay, now look, back in the 60s, some of us were changing, many of us were changing consciousness using not the sonic driver, but hallucinogens. We were tripping out. I don't know if we were really taking journeys, but we were definitely tripping out. We weren't shamans, we were just, you know... Curious. Taking yes, we we we're tripping. We're t- no, but the shaman works with specific goals in mind, healing or divination, typically. And in the process of his or her work, there are significant results that ensue. We could say miracles occur. So this is a person who really gets significant results from his or her partnership with the helping spirits. And now, actually. Michael Harner uh, has has actually given us a kind of a broader definition of the shaman, which I think we really like. And um, as he says in Cave and Cosmos, while the work of the shamans encompasses virtually the full gamut of known spiritual practices, 
Shamanism is universally characterized by an intentional change in consciousness to engage in purposeful two-way interaction with the spirits. So, yeah, the shaman can act as a medium. The shaman can act as a depossessor. The shaman journeys to the upper and lower worlds to meet with helping spirits to promote healing one way or another and people who come to the shaman who want help. The people also come to the shaman with important problems, issues, questions. The shaman can act as a go-between between these wise and compassionate spirits that the shaman is aligned with. For instance, the, one of the, the, uh, helping spirit could be in an animal form. So this we call this the power animal. And the shaman may go to a power animal and request help for someone who's come to the shaman asking for help or may present uh, the question that someone has come to the shaman with to the power animal. The power animal shares its insights. These are highly intelligent beings. The universe is full of intelligence and uh, certainly the power animals, these wonderful spirit beings that give us power which is really protection, amongst other things. And and so these beings can help the shaman help others. Now, the upper world and lower world, these are realms that are outside of time. We could I call the, the upper world, amongst other things, the land up above. Now, if you take a shamanic journey, okay, typically, okay, the drum will be going, so we've, we've got the sonic driver that gets us into an altered state of consciousness. We're in a re- relaxed physical position, typically lying down on our backs, but we could be seated. Heck, we could be standing. You know, we could even act out a journey, although in our workshops we're going to just be still and typically lying down. Um we could take a journey to the planet Mars, okay? That's still the middle world. That's not the upper world. The upper world is land up above. Now, stories that remind us of the upper world, let's see. Uh, heaven, the land of Oz, Never Never Land. It goes on and Mount Olympus, all right? The lower world, the land below. We're not talking about a journey to the center of the, of the earth. We're talking about the land below. And various indigenous cultures have seen the land below as a place that that their peoples go to at the point of death. We could say for them, that's their heaven. The Roman people, upon uh, death, would go to the land below, right? And so these are realms of beauty and wonder, and and actually you'll get some pretty detailed descriptions of these realms in Cave and Cosmos. I know Michael Harner had uh, certain misgivings about um sharing the accounts of some of his students dealing with these realms so uh only because it's nice to go into these uh, into the basic workshop or the training that you'll be attending in early October with no preconceptions but i think you can read these things and then drop your preconceptions still and just go in with a, a, a just an open mind as to what you will discover because you know we we're not looking for agreement on what's in these realms. Our approach, which we call core shamanism, which really is a distillation of worldwide shamanism. You know, it's shamanism is 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 this worldwide phenomenon, and there are certain uh, practices like the shamanic journey, for instance, and certain uh, <clears throat> understandings that are common to all forms of shamanism. Uh, we're not looking for agreement in, in our approach to uh, to shamanism. We call it core shamanism. We just say, hey, you go, find out what's in these realms. We, we're here to tell you that there is help in these realms. 
we can say it's an animal form, maybe in, in the form of uh, a human spirit of great power and wisdom. But you find your own helper. We won't even tell you what these places will look like because you will see on on a journey. Typically, they're, they're a visual experience, but when we say shamanic seeing, that really includes engaging all of your senses, a sense of hearing, of touch, even of taste, and certainly of smell. And um, so the shamanic journey, which which I feel and, and others, I think Michael Harner uh, certainly is on board with this, that it's the journey that really is is uh, the major activity of the shaman. Although not all shamans, okay, with this broader definition, will be journeying. Um, I think I've lost my way in this, but uh, so uh, it's okay. But, we were yeah. talking about the different worlds and how yeah. and how we line them up. And you know, I can I can remember this um, this friend that I. I don't know, you know, I'm, I think I met her through the breathwork circles, you know, way back in, you know, we all, all did breathwork together. But but she was from Australia, and she um, came from a lineage of um, Aboriginal shamans. And, you know, I remember, you know, she was autistic and, and actually mute until age nine. She never said a word. And then when she came out of her, you know, she started talking. It was like age nine or ten. And I remember when she was trying to explain to me because I was like, "What is it that you're doing?" Because she was like pounding this drum and doing all this stuff, and you know, and I, and I was like, "What? What was that?" You know, I just experienced. And she said, "I'll never forget it." She said, "I am able to see all the different pieces or parts." of a person and I help bring I help put them all back together like in a new way. Mm-hmm. And I was like and you know she she had studied, you know, some of the, I think it was uh Inga I forget her name. Uh, Sandra Ingerson, I think it was, who did the soul retrieval work, which you know Ingerman, was a little bit different. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah. it. That's it. And that was, you know, she had studied with her and studied with other people in, you know, in Australia. And you know she 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 had this experience on 9/11. She was in New York City, and um, she was supposed to do the didgeridoo for a fashion show in downtown Manhattan. And she and I know the apartment that she was in because I've stayed in it. It's owned by a friend of ours, and you know we would all rent it when we went to New York City and do healing work. And so I know this. I know it. I know where it is. I know the windows, everything. And she said she woke up that morning and she heard, "Do your laundry." Like, what do you mean, do my laundry? This is a big opportunity. I'm doing this didgeridoo on this fashion show in Manhattan when people are coming into work from every angle. I'm, I'm not doing my laundry. I'm getting down to, like, you know, New York City. And she, and she heard distinctly, do your laundry. And she's like, am I sabotaging? She did her little checklist, and she's like, you know what? I think I'm supposed to do my laundry and not do this thing. So she goes down into the basement of this high-rise building. She's down there doing her laundry, you know. She's listening, you know, not understanding it, but she's listening. And she hears this guy on a walkie-talkie. I don't know, something over, you know, at the World Trade Center. I don't, I don't know, something, you know, whatever. She comes upstairs. She turns on the TV. She's seen the one tower has gone down. Right. She looks out the window and she sees the second plane coming by, and she sees the faces of all of the people in this plane. And and she was, like, you know, booked for clients, and she, she thought, oh, my God, I have to pray for all of those people 
she went she had she went and got her big drum let me add that she went and got her big drum and a glass of orange juice and she was going to go drum and she's like i have to pray for those souls who departed like oh my god and then she's like no i have to pray for the loved ones back here and in that moment between she went to the other side and back her drum split in half and the bottom of the orange juice glass just sheared off just like that and you know she was down in the bowels of 9-11, you know, like she would not leave. She went down and helped all the firemen, and, you know, my other friends are calling, will you call Carrie and get her out of there? She's going to ruin her lungs. I'm like, you don't get it. She's, like, divinely protected. She's exactly where she needs to be at this moment. But, you know, how do you explain something like that, you know? And it's like, but these are, this is the work that you're talking about where it's unexplainable, really. I mean, you can try. And well, you're doing you know, a good job I've... of it, by the way. <laughs> But, well, but yeah, well, yeah, well, I, I, Christian, the shaman might say, well, an experience that you've described, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't even attempt to explain it, but there might be an explanation for it. But certainly, in the, in the work of the shaman, the shaman is engaging the help of the helping spirits in order to really uh, promote miraculous, what I would call, what ordinary people would call miraculous results, and so. Uh, you know the the one of the main thrusts of Michael Horner's latest book, Cave and Cosmos, is that the spirits are absolutely real. And and when you look at the word shaman, which comes from the Tungus people of Siberia, so there's a tremendous tradition of shamanism in Siberia. Translated, the word means he or she who knows. Now, it's not he or she who believes. Shaman knows that the spirits are real, amongst other things. And how does a shaman know that? Because a shaman has had direct experience with the spirits. They have revealed themselves to the shaman in in various ways. And that makes it kind of easy to know that they're real when they basically, so to speak, they're knocking on your door. And uh, you, you and can let them afraid. in. Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah, no, yeah. You can let them in, or even daunted. if you don't. Let... <laughs> Maybe mm-hmm. a little daunted at first until well, at you first, understand. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so, um, yeah, but that's quite a story you tell about your friend there, and uh, on uh, one of the seminal events of the twenty uh, first century. Well, you know, and 10 of our next, uh, you know, 10 of the 20 clients that were scheduled that week had all lost people, you know, mm-hmm. in that event. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you know, I mean, she was exactly where – one other time she was in India with her um, girlfriend going to Kumbhamaya, you know, the, the Divine Mother Festival. And someone said, have you been to La La La? And she's like, no, I've heard of that. And they're like, you really should do that. And they're like, well, that's like, you know, 15, 20 miles back that way. And they're like, well, you're so close. You really ought to do it. And so she, you know, checked it with, you know, checked it to see what should I do. And and she, they made the decision to go back. Had they gone forward, there was an earthquake that came right where they would have been when it happened. And, you know, but it was... It's just, you know, you. it's just so interesting. You know, animals and nature know when things are going to happen way ahead of people oftentimes. You know, you can study the animals, and and I'd love to talk about the animal part of this. I mean, today I had two hummingbirds outside my window, and, and you know, that's not unusual. I have 
these beautiful red flowers, hibiscus and you know, other things they're attracted to. But these two hummingbirds came together and did a dance. It was like the most beautiful thing. I mean, they were like swirling, like almost in a figure eight. And I thought, wow. Yes. Well, you know, I'm I'm particularly fond of the hummingbirds, so I've we've got two feeders in front of our house here and uh, I mean they come in mid-April and un- unfortunately for us but good for them they're leaving probably any day now, you know, for parts south. But they are pretty, they're little jewels. They're so intelligent and they make such a beautiful little sound, don't they? When mm-hmm. they're flying around and you know, I I think you know, through my involvement with with the spirits, with shamanism, and and becoming, I think, far more sensitized to the uh, infinitude of miracles that we're immersed in here. You know, called the physical world, and all the creatures who live in this incredible blue planet, hurtling through space and revolving at uh, a thousand miles an hour. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, these creatures are so incredible, you know, and, uh, I don't know how people have time to do nasty things to each other or to the, or to these animals. You know, I think there's a lack of sensitivity here, particularly in our culture. That's really quite alarming. I'm afraid it's getting a little worse. It's, you know, it's at the moment. But, you know, I think shamanism, I, I like to think of shamanism as, you know, though it's an ancient spiritual practice, it is actually the perfect spirituality for today's human being. Because, let's see, number one, it works. All right? People do get helped in all kinds of ways by going to the shaman, but in practicing shamanism, people get helped as well. And it can be learned very quickly, and one can begin to employ the help of the spirits uh, immediately to help themselves and to help other people. And so it's a, we could say it's the perfect spirituality for the fast food generation. <laughs> How funny. But yeah. Yeah. So so uh you know, fasten your seatbelt. We're looking forward to uh working with you in early October. I know. I'm really No, I don't know if you ha- do you, hmm? Yeah, I it's just I mean, I've I, you know, I've heard of you and your wife for years doing this work and I don't know how it is that our paths haven't crossed, but you know, here we are. <laughs> so Well, now we haven't been to St. Louis for, you know, about 3 years, but no, my wife is uh what can I say? You know, she's um the most fantastic support that a guy could have and and a, a great human being, but um she's also a an avid reader and um uh, an extensive reader in anthropology, amongst other subjects. So, of the two of us, she's certainly the anthropologist, and she, so she brings just a wealth of knowledge as well as spiritual experience to to these workshops as she assists me. Yeah, I'm the official faculty mem- uh, uh, member of the Foundation for Shamanic Studies, but uh, my wife Shana does accompany me at to all these workshops. So she's. Uh, She's part of the the team here. How wonderful to be able to work with your partner and Mm -hmm. just bring such great transformation and gifts to people. You know, I mean, and and what I really like, Dana, is the way you are um, explaining this, that everyone has their personal journey, and Mm -hmm. it's it's a very personal, spiritual-based 
you know, um, system, shall we say? I, I don't know. Systems to write. Well, word. certainly our approach to it is, is is core shamanism. So we're not being culturally specific with what we're presenting to people. So you know, you don't have to have the agreed upon map of the lower world or the upper world, uh, or the agreed upon main spirit helpers. Now we, you know, it's just up to each person to find their way and find their own spiritual helpers. And believe me, they're not hard to find. These guys want to help us, and, and particularly animals. I think it's so curious that they want to help us in light of the horrible things that the human race does to the animals. But um, uh, there's a, a, and Michael Harner has offered a, kind of an interesting explanation of that. I don't think I'll say it right now, but uh, there's a reason that they have compassion for us, and it, it might be related to the compassion that we that we can have for the creatures who are on this planet now. And I think, you know, you do this work, it does promote compassion for all beings. Not just the humans, but for all beings. So, Dana, you know, in all of of these workshops and all of these, you know, amazing encounters with so many people all over, you know, you've taught in many diverse places, Mm -hmm. can you share with us just, you know, um, um, one of the, I mean, I, I'm sure many stories will come to mind, but what, just whatever comes to mind, like, like a case study almost of someone who um, was just totally shifted and helped by this work. Well, yeah, I mean, I can think of uh, of uh, uh, all kinds of people. Uh, you know, I, I've seen people who are very shy and retiring and um, start to do this work, and after a number of trainings. But, you know, not, it's not just the trainings. It's it's applying what you learn in between trainings, and that means continue to connect with the helping spirits, help others whenever you can. Um, we believe that when you help others, uh, using the help of the spirits, that they gift you with more power and 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 I mean power in the most positive sense actually how would I define power I would define power as energy plus intelligence plus love plus ethics all the good stuff and so you know you continue to connect with the spirits you do these trainings you learn more and more and lo and behold you 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 gain self confidence and you know the confidence that you gain it's really Yes, it's yours, but it's also the confidence of the spirits that not only do you hang out with or journey to through, and hang out with through the journey, but you actually embody from time to time. You actually call them to you so that you can actually embody them here in, in, in the physical world from time to time. And so you, there is this union between these helping spirits of great power and wisdom and you. And believe me, that has an effect. You know, So there are... I think there are many stories of people really changing uh, for the better. And, and Michael Harner has said, when you do shamanism, it makes you a better person. Now, there are stories of healing as well. And um, I've heard of people who've done the basic workshop and then gone off and tried to help people. And even after having just done the basic workshop, they're able to help people with the help of the spirits. Now, there's, here's one case that uh, I'll mention. There was a young man who came to one of our trainings in the year 2000. He was in his late 20s from England. 
He was just a wonderful guy, and uh, he revealed to us that he had a, an aggressive brain tumor, and he had just a few months to live. And his sister was there with her husband from England, and I think they were there because, you know, they knew that it was getting near the end for this wonderful guy. And I uh, <clears throat> told this guy, you know, would you be interested in, in my working for you and in some of the people who are here in this basic workshop working on your behalf after the workshop's over? And he said, yeah, it would be great. So uh, we got together with him a number of times, and we were employing some various um, techniques that uh, we learned in the basic workshop and also that I imparted to the people who were trying to help him. And <clears throat> after a time... A few months, and he would be going to Duke University on a regular basis every couple months to have a, a brain scan. His, um, He said that the doctors had said that the brain tumor had shrunk 80%. And, and I said, to what do you attribute that? And he said, well, to the spiritual work that you guys have been doing. Now, we were just agents of the helping spirits. So, you know, we're not going to get a swelled head about this. We're not going to get onto an ego trip about this. Uh, Michael Harnrath said, in fact, no one in their right mind would call themselves a shaman. You leave it to the people that you help to call you a shaman. And I would say, you don't get hung up on that label. Just try to help people utilizing the spirits. And so uh, his condition improved. But you know what? In retrospect, uh, 80% Improvement isn't good enough when it comes to aggressive brain tumors. We want we want it to be uh, gone. And so, you know, the story unfolded in, in a specific way. I think uh, we should have worked harder on his behalf, but, you know, we, we did what we could and what he was interested in our doing. And so, it's you know, it's, a, it's quite, a, a, quite a story. But that's a pretty dramatic, uh, uh, I think, example of the possibilities of this work. Uh, and you know when you're working with a group of people in this in this manner, in the manner that we worked, I think that's uh, that's quite good. The more the merrier, and, and at least in the way that we were working for this young man, uh, he lived at least two more years that we know of. Uh, I know he went back to England, and we didn't hear from him again. But and friendships were made. You know, we we'd go out to dinner with this guy, and uh, he was able to live a somewhat normal life for far longer than was predicted for him. And uh, so we'll never forget him. And uh, the, actually, the gift that he gave us, the gift he gave us, was a chance to help him utilizing our own helping spirits. Right? So, so. I mean, and you know, and and. You know, more and more traditional medicine are, you know, they're they're curious. They're like, you know, not everyone, but many of you are still skeptics. But still, you know, there are more and more doctors speaking up about the afterlife and, mm-hmm. you know, the miracles yeah. they've seen. And, you know, there are books, you know, Radical Healing was one of them. Like, you know, why do some people get well and some don't? You know, they have the exact same treatments, the same diagnoses, the same. You know, there there's so much more to healing then, um, you know, I started off as a nurse, and I learned early on. I was like, oh. I remember them teaching us that, you know, when you take the case history, really pay attention because in most cases, 
you know, before it's in the, you know, expressed in the physical body, it's been in the etheric. You know, it's been in their thinking and their emotions and their, you know, something's been out of balance for, and it normally takes around two years, you know, for it to, um, to be in the physical. Not always, but, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes. And, and I can remember studying with, you know, I don't know, I've studied with a lot of teachers over the years. I've been blessed with gifted, gifted teachers. And I love how you, um, even though you have taught over 600 of these workshops, you still remember the day that you came to your teacher and, and the devotion and honoring of him is just so, hmm. so sweet, you know, to see this. I mean, you know. Well, we've got to be realistic I, here. You know, we got to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, but still, some people forget. You know, they just forget. And, <laughs> you know. No, no, well, look, you know, look, hey, listen, I, I, we've had many teachers and from uh, all walks of life. But let me just say this. The shaman is someone who understands that the physical universe is only half the story. The other half is this is is the spirit world and and everything that is has a spiritual component. So you know there's Cindy and there's the spirit of Cindy. There's the tree in my backyard and the spirit of that tree. There's the house that we live in and it's, there's the spirit of the house. Now you know we spent some time with a a 94-year-old shaman years ago who had been brought by the foundation to Northern California, to Sonoma, California. And um, he performed a ceremony uh, in front of us. And um, I remember him saying in the course of the ceremony, now he spoke in uh, his native tongue, Olchi, that was translated into Russian and Russian uh, eventually into English. But he said, you know, he's going to the spirits for help. And he says to the spirits, I'm not a shaman. I'm just someone asking for help for the for for someone. Now, here's a guy who's been practicing shamanism for maybe 75 or 80 years and he's saying, "Hey, I'm not a shaman. I'm just hey, I'm just a guy trying to do some help." And I just love that kind of humility. Right. Yes. And I think shamanism, at least our approach to it, you know, at the foundation for shamanic studies, you know, promotes that. And uh, you know, we we don't get an ego about this. We just try to just try to help, and uh, help is there. Oh, uh, all you have to do is engage it, you know. So, listeners, I want to um, give you contact information. This workshop is going to be held in St. Louis on mm-hmm. October 5th and 6th, and the hours are uh, 9.45 to 6 on Saturday, 9.30 to 5.30 on Sunday. Pre-registration is required, um, so you can go to the website, which is www.shamantracks.com, and that's S-H-A-M-A-N-T-R-A-C-K-S.com. You can also uh, call Dana at 410-820-9977. I'll repeat that, 410 Eight two zero nine nine seven seven, and, and you can email, also ah go oh, yes go ahead please <laughs> is Dana Cougar at mm-hmm. um, go go dot which is g o e a s t o n dot net. Now yeah. there's a wonderful article in the uh, September issue of Spirit Seeker. It is on page four, and um, you know, and also the ad is is you know with the contact information, everything's right there. But there's a wonderful article um, on shamanism for creative solutions, and you know, Dana, um, mm. I, it, I'm assuming. Well, I don't know where it is actually. I guess we'll find out when we um, you'll email us uh, information on where it's being held. 
Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 well, yes. They'll they'll know it's it's at a Hampton Inn and and and, and a highly rated, actually number one rated hotel in St. Louis. So, okay, so it's a new hotel. It should be a wonderful uh, meeting room. And uh, don't forget the Foundation for Shamanic Studies, their website www.shamanism.org. Wonderful articles there, wonderful information, and a full list of workshops being given all over. Actually, the the, uh, the United States. We also have teachers in Asia and you're in Europe. So I hope people, if they're interested, please check it out, and you can learn a lot at the website of the foundation. So we have a couple more minutes, Dana. Just you know, before we close, I just. Um I want to thank you for, you know, you've shared a lot in this hour and, um, you know, I can just feel, you know, your heart, your heart in this work. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I, I just, until I read the article, you know, when your information came in, I was like, I had no idea. You know, I mean, you don't think about shamans from Siberia, you know, I mean. I, I don't know. I just didn't. I mean, I worked with a lot of Native American healers and sure. all kinds of different indigenous cultures, but it's like, wow. And when you think about the fact that, you know, here are these ancient healers in every culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty amazing. And, and Well, you know, look, the truth of the matter is that there are spirits. And human right. beings Everywhere. discovered yeah. that there are these help, yes, and that there are helping spirits that have great compassion and wisdom, and they can be accessed in what we call the upper world and the lower world. And of course, there are plenty of helpers in the middle world as well, but the middle world might be more of a mixed bag. And it, the humans discovered this and ran with it, you know, and you and and then you have this uh, system we call shamanism, you know, that it, it, it exists in various forms, but there are many similarities between various forms of shamanism. So it's just uh, one of the great discoveries of the human being, you know, yeah. <laughs> the helping spirits. Well, thank you so much for taking time out with everything that you have, oh, you know, that you're thank offering. Thank you. And- you know, it's just really, you know, my my honor and, you know, privilege to have you as my guest on my show. And just thank you so much for the work you're doing. And well, you're really sweet. Thank you. <laughs> and, and I look forward to seeing you in person in St. Louis. My wife does, too, okay, on the great. 5th and 6th of October. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Thank and you. listeners, stay tuned. We're going to go right into our second part of the show. And I just want to mention there's several ways that you can support the show. Number one, you can favorite uh, favorite the show on Blog Talk. What that does is you go to the spirituality section. You find you can actually just go directly to my page, blogtalkradio.com forward slash, uh, forward slash Cindy Meyer, spelled C-Y-N-D-E-M-E-Y-E-R. By you favoriting the show, it helps them realize uh, they look at our stats, they look at the favorites, and they move us closer to the front of the spirituality section. The other thing that um, is helpful is to send an email to info, I-N-F-O, at spiritseeker.com. We send you a weekly um, reminder that the of who our guests are each week on the radio show. We also have uh, the magazine each and every month. We, you know, Each week, you can just click right on the cover and go right to the magazine. We do not sell our email list. We do allow people who are doing the good work to be a part of our email uh, that we send you, so you'll find out about things in the Midwest, but we also support things throughout the whole U.S. In the 17 years we've been published, we've been online for 15 of those years, so we have quite a readership, you know, throughout the U.S. and into Canada and into Europe. So it's, you know, it's just wonderful. And um, so, so do do send us an email info at spiritseeker.com, and then we'll let you know of wonderful events uh, such as this and other happenings. 
Okay, Dana Robinson, thank you so much, and good night, everyone. But stay tuned for the next show. All right, <laughs> okay. thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Welcome to the Spirit Seeker Hour. Spirit Seeker Hour is your chance to delve into the world of your inner spirit. The Spirit Seeker Hour is brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. Go to www.spiritseeker.com to find out more. And now, here's Cindy Meyer. Hello and welcome. And it is my pleasure to bring you this show each and every week, uh, brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. And you can read Spirit Seeker Magazine at www.spiritseeker.com. We have been published for 17 years, one of the first mind-body-spirit magazines that was published online, and we have a print magazine throughout the whole Midwest. You can find us in Chicago, St. Louis, Kansas City, into other parts of Illinois, and uh, into Arkansas, and we are at many, many mind-body-spirit events, um, even further than the Midwest, and then, of course, have been read online for 15 of our 17 years. So we are delighted that people are finding their way to this radio show through the magazine, through our weekly email newsletter, through what Blog Talk um, does behind the scenes to promote the different shows that are on this uh, format. And it being a virtual blog, the beautiful part is that there are over 300 shows archived that are free, and they're wonderful, and many people are using these shows as their spiritual nourishment expansion of the mind, body, and spirit because we interview the latest and the most profound people on the front lines of healing. We um, also interview musicians who, um, you know, as many of you know, we, we support music each and every month. We do different music reviews, book reviews, etc. So today, um, or this evening, I should say, I am interviewing Dr. Eric Pearl, who um, many people know of his work, and some of you may be new, so we are going to hear all about his work with the reconnection. He is the founder of this particular uh, technique, but he um, has many, many other uh, gifts that are expanding from this awareness that came through this work. He's been interviewed on the Dr. Oz Show. He's been in the New York Times, on CNN. I could go on and on. He's um, he's presented at leading venues such as the United Nations and Madison Square Garden. Um, his book is a bestseller in, uh, and has been translated in over 36 languages. We will be talking about his uh, new book, Solomon Speaks, in Reconnecting Your Life. And Dr. Uh, Eric Pearl, welcome to the call. Well, thank you for having me. It's my <laughs> pleasure to be here. You know, I experienced your work in Chicago at, oh, it was a conference back in, I think, 1998, and, um, and of course, have just, you know, followed your work and, you know, was was uh, really, del- you know, delighted that I was able to experience your work in a room of, I think there were like 300-something people, and um, it's profound, very, very profound, and uh, it's my understanding you started off as a chiropractor. My background was chiropractic. I had practiced for about 12 years. Um, when one night a few strange things happened, I had a, I was awakened, physically awakened by um, a bright light. I, I opened my eyes to see what it was, and it was simply the lamp next to my bed, nothing seemingly spiritual or metaphysical. But um, I was under um, a very clear feeling that I had been being watched while I was asleep, that somebody was in my home. Um, 
let's just say it was strong enough of a sensation that I got up with a knife and a can of pepper spray and my Doberman pincher and I went hunting, couldn't find anyone, told myself that this was crazy and it must be my imagination. I went back to sleep. But that Monday when I went into my office, I would adjust my chiropractic patients as usual, tell them to lie down, relax with their eyes closed, rest on their back for a minute or two to let the adjustment set as usual. But this time it was different. As I held my hands near them, I would see their arms or their legs jerk, their eyes rapidly dart back and forth, little muscles in their forehead or around their chin that we couldn't move intentionally begin to ripple, appearing the way water appears to ripple when you drop a stone into it, it would pull up their lips or their eyebrows. When they opened their eyes, they started reporting seeing colors they'd never seen before, smelling flowers they'd never before smelled. Um, when they got up, they began to demonstrate healings, real healings. They were getting up out of wheelchairs, vision and hearing returning. Uh, they were coming in several days later with laboratory results showing cancer tumors had vanished. Children with cerebral palsy or epilepsy were suddenly able to walk and run and play and speak normally, not have seizures, not need medications. Their parents would call, their doctors would call. They'd say, what did you do? I said, I didn't do anything and don't tell anybody, which went over about as big as Nancy Reagan trying to just say no to drugs. So soon everyone started coming in from everywhere going, I'll have what she had. And then people began to ask me to teach it. I said, teach this? You have got to be insane. I'm, I'm standing there waving my hands in the air looking like a fool. I said, you go outside, wave your hands in the air, let me know what your neighbors have to say about you. But my oh. patients kept calling me up and saying, I drove home and my automatic garage door opened before I hit the button to open it, or I walked into the house, my lap or my TV started turning on and off and on and off, and I felt sensations in my hands. I held my hands near someone in my family, and my uncle could suddenly walk again after the stroke, or my grandmother regained her hearing, and that's when we began to recognize that once we interact with what science today refers to as the reconnective healing spectrum, that something changes within us without the use of the need for complicated techniques or fear-based rituals or any approach at all, we simply are able to access our own healings. And even more than that, we're able to facilitate healings for others. You know, you just said a quantum amount of information in a very short time. <laughs> I mean, Not I only that, but I didn't even take more than two breaths. I know, I noticed. I'm a press worker. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm with you. I mean, I just felt like I was in a dance. And and I think that's what your life is like. It's, you know, a when dance. I, it is a dance. A dance. And yeah. multidimensional, interdimensional, uh, super galactic dance with life. And, you know, I mean, I, I can see you the first time being afraid, and then the next day you must have thought, okay, the visit from last night changed me in some profound way. But, I mean, how old were you? Maybe I shouldn't ask what, how old, but, but, but you know. Two. I was two. <laughs> but you're very young because, I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, when Frederick Ponsloff came to you, you know, and we'll talk about him in a moment, when he came to you as a patient, he looked at you and thought, he's awfully young for what I've heard about him. And, and then, you know, um, a whole new level starts. So, so let's talk about. Let, let's just talk about first. You know, what what did you journal? Did you, you know, I mean, you're, the word got out. You're like the healer. You're John of God in a different way. Okay. So, how did you handle all of this instantaneous like attention? And, I mean, it had to have just been quite life changing. It it wasn't exactly. 
instantaneous attention, not from not from people <laughs> here, not from people here. It seemed to be instantaneous attention from another dimension. Um, it was. There were a lot of. Uh, how can I explain this? Um, there was, of course, a lot of attention, and um, it came in various forms, some seemingly desirable, some seemingly not so desirable. I mean, uh, so, I mean, you know, people are having these dramatic healings, and what we'll talk about later um, when we get into the book is that over 50 of my patients during this process, well, I guess we're talking about it now, aren't we? We are. We're there. <laughs> over 50 of my patients during this process lost consciousness and actually spoke six verbatim phrases and this was you know going on in a busy office so some of my patients in the next rooms are hearing my patients say these words and they're 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 in in different in a different voice and they're they're coming out of their rooms staring and watching what's going on and some of them are very excited about it and some of them were spooked out right not only that, some of the patients, get this, some of the patients who lost consciousness and had this voice come through them got freaked by it and, and left, stopped coming into the practice. Uh, I mean, I'm, you know, some were excited, more were coming because of it, some were leaving because of it. As my patient load was going down, my um, my income was going down, but my expenses were not. You know, I still had the same rent on the office and my car and my home and everything. And, and um, gee, I actually almost declared bankruptcy about three different times, except I knew with all the healings going on, I had to continue this work no matter how people were responding to it. And um, at, at a certain point in time, I even questioned that, and I said, maybe I should go back and just do the chiropractic straight the way I've been doing it. And I tried to do that because chiropractic is, as far as I'm concerned, one of the highest forms of healing that we have here on the planet. And yet it was my second best. And I don't even fully remember that period when I was doing chiropractic because you're you're only half alive at most when you're living your second best and there came a certain point in time when I had to I, I had to ask myself I had to make a decision you know what what choice do I make with this and, and I said well what are the two worst case scenarios and my mind immediately jumped to you know after you complete the life and I said well here I am worst case scenario one possibly would be that I die, I show up at heaven or wherever we all go, I show up at the pearly gates or wherever we all go, St. Peter or whoever is there opens the book, finds my name and goes, hmm, Eric Pearl, you led a lot of people down a very foolish path. You have to go back and live your life over 600 times. Well, that was not very exciting. But worst case scenario number two was I die, I show up where we go, whoever's there is there, they open the book, they find my name and they say, hmm. Eric Pearl, you were given an opportunity to bring about a change in consciousness and awareness that could have ripple effects maybe throughout the planet, as it already has, maybe throughout the universe, as maybe it has, and maybe forever, and you didn't do it. You didn't do it because you were afraid. And as soon as 
I had that thought, I realized that I cannot make my choice from fear, fear of making a mistake. I have to make it from love. And I realized that I had to do this work, not out of force, but I had to do it out of being compelled by the truth of the essence of who and what I was. And um, I can't tell you how glad I am that I made that decision. Well, and I and so many others are glad you uh, you listened and accepted that light and accepted, you know, this, um, you know, you were obviously drawn to healing to have gone into the chiropractic realm and be in Los Angeles with a thriving practice. But this is this is so different, what you're doing. And, you know, and, and not being afraid as these voices are coming through, you know, and, and, and understanding that there's something bigger going on here. So... Well, well, fear, look look at fear for a moment. Really, fear is a choice. Fear is an interpretation. Uh, People would say to me, gee, when all these things were going on, because, you know, I would wake up twice a week, not only in my home, but but if I traveled uh, other places. And at least twice a week, I would wake up, there was a light on somewhere that was off when I went to bed. There's a door open somewhere that was closed when I went to bed. And, you know, I mean, it's a nice metaphor, doors opening and lights coming on. It's still a bit strange. And people would say, weren't you afraid? And I look back on it and I go, I could see where I had the choice to be afraid. But I was really in a state of awe, a state of wonder, being in the presence of something much larger than me, much larger than most of us are, are really so honored to be able to experience and and awe of the wonder of the unknown, which could be taken as fear, but it could be awe. And, and I remember I was just having this discussion the other day. When I was a child, you know, and you turn on the TV once in a while, a Western would come on. There'd be the, the little preacher, the parson or whatever they'd call them out West. And the parson would be talking to his flock in the church and talk about being God-fearing Christians. And I used to think to myself right then, what kind of a God, I mean, I just don't believe it, would want us to be in fear? And I gave a presentation once in the city of in the north of Israel, which is the cradle of Kabbalah. And I gave a presentation shared with the head Kabbalah rabbi there. And at some point I asked him about God-fearing, about the phrase. And he explained to me that the original word, Norah, that it was translated from, could be taken any of a number of ways. And at its most base level, it could be taken as fear. But truly, on the highest level in which it was intended, the word means awe. Awe is neutral. We can choose to give it fear or give it joy and excitement. It's just like Deepak Chopra said, someone can insult you. You can choose to be insulted or choose to be complimented. They can compliment you. You can make other choice again. The light is neutral. We choose whether to allow the light to illuminate or to simply interpret the light as being blinding. Right. You know, that's that's really the light, the love. You know, you were talking about the love. And, you know, 
this this mission, you know, being. And I like the way you describe that that um, Hebrew word. It, and it is like awe is like this. It's this wonder, you know, like. And it is joy, but so many people are so afraid of allowing that beautiful joy. It's almost like they think they have to suffer or something. And I think that the work you're doing with bringing the light to the planet, to the different people. I mean, look at the look. Look how much times have changed just from when you started as a chiropractor and, yeah. and now. I mean, think about it. It's just fabulous this time we're living in. And a lot of it has to do with. The unknown, we are in awe of the unknown, and yet our nature tends to be that we often assign fear to the unknown. And, um, you, you know, even in the healing world, you had mentioned in the introduction that reconnective healing was a new technique. It's actually not a technique at all. That's the whole purpose of it. The whole thing about reconnective healing is for us to transcend technique. But we introduce fear into the healing world in our energy healing techniques. We, every choice we make, every action that we take comes either from fear, lack, limitation, the illusion of separation, the illusion of darkness, or it comes from love, prosperity, abundance, light, oneness, and unity. And we cannot give a gift which we are unwilling to accept and receive. We cannot stand in our complicated healing techniques feeling the need for control to direct this up and this down, this clockwise, this counterclockwise, use this symbol, and stand in the freedom wherein lies healing of allowing ourselves to be the witness and the witness, the seer and the seen, the observer and the observed, to observe without judgment. We cannot stand in fear protecting ourselves and White flames, purple flames, gold flames, pulling up imaginary zippers, trying to shake off what we perceive as negative energy, spray ourselves down with alcohol, cleanse our systems in apple cider vinegar, and facilitate healings that reside in, in love. We cannot stand in lack and limitation consciousness trying to add healing crystals and wands and jewelry to bring in frequencies from other dimensions to make us more and yet facilitate healings that reside in the abundance, including the abundance of our consciousness, recognizing that we are more than abundantly enough in and of our own essence. And we need not look at those places we've been as mistakes, but to recognize them as steps like training wheels on a bicycle that have been wonderful. But when we learn to master the bicycle with training wheels, that's not our goal. The gift of the training wheels comes once we remove them because that's when we master the bicycle itself. And the gift of these techniques has been to give us our balance, a taste of our balance in the healing world, but yet the true gift of the technique comes when we transcend it. So to pick up and recognize and acknowledge where we've been in fear, lack, limitation, and control, pick up these fears, cradle them, love them, thank them, bless them, and carry them one step at a time into the light and allow light to do what light does best, which is to show us that the darkness never existed in the first place, that it was merely where we had not allowed ourselves to shine as the light that we are. Not that I have an opinion on the subject or anything. Oh, no, nothing like that, nothing. No, 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 no. no. Oh, but, but, but having over 50 of your patients all of a sudden basically channeling all of this information and you being the scribe and the receiver and the the appointed one, which you accepted, 
this mission to to not think you're schizophrenic and to not think you're totally crazy and to run with it, knowing the miracles that were coming from it. I mean, you're like a you're you're one of the front runners, you know, in uh and you've obviously done this lifetimes or it when and you know, it doesn't just happen. People sometimes think, Well, how can someone who's never really done healing all of a sudden they just know how to help others because they trust. Well, you know, there's yes, and there's more to it than that. Oh, I for agree. Example, I, I simplified it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I know that, but I mean, for example, you know, these healings started coming through. You know, as you might want to say, full force boogie. It was, you know, I, I, I went home on a Thursday night thinking I was a doctor. I came in <laughs> on a Monday and I was something else. Now, my parents had always told me I was something else, but this is probably not what they had in mind. And you see, as these healings started happening, I thought, I'd better learn about this. I'd better find out what's going on. So I started contacting healers all around the world. They started contacting and coming to me, the famous, the not-so-famous. Everyone was offering advice. Move your hands clockwise, move it counterclockwise, bring in this entity, bring in that entity, protect yourself this way, do that that way. And the more things that I did the less and less the healings came through until I began to recognize that I was just continuously lacing the healing sessions with these people's beliefs and fears. And when I finally let all that go, I started to bring the healings through more and more clearly. So what happened was, if I was just doing the healings, I couldn't teach it like I am today. I actually had to lose it to discover how I lost it, to learn and discover how to gain it back again so we can see how to do this. Now, right now, I live on the road about 45 weeks a year all around the world teaching reconnective healing and weekend seminars. And generally, the way it works is that we give a Friday night presentation for three hours. We talk about the history, the theory, the philosophy, the consciousness of the work, the science. We give everyone a chance for you to feel this in your hands. And we bring up volunteers from the audience to give live demonstrations of the healing so you can see the reality of it. But that's just the Friday night. Saturday and Sunday is a real working seminar, a real workshop. We demonstrate the healing clearly and plainly. We go to massage tables. So let's say you are at the seminar. You might stand at the head of a massage table. Someone else will lie down on your table. The teaching team and I walk around to each of the tables. We take your hand. We show you how to feel this, how to find it, how to access it. And you will witness, believe it or not, right in front of your very eyes, you will witness the person on your table go through body jerks, arms and legs, involuntary movement of the fingers, eyes dart back and forth. We'll show you how to accentuate it, how to increase that. You'll see their color change. You'll see all sorts of things. And then we go back, we discuss more about it. We learn the next level. We go back to the table. And by the end of one weekend, not like three years in a mystery school or six months or even two weeks, but by the end of one weekend, I can pretty much make you two good promises, which are, A, you will be able to do anything and everything in the way of healing that I can do, and B, you will be able to do anything and everything in the way of healing that any human being anywhere on this planet can do. See, 
this is, you know, I mean, going back to the words, you know, that Jesus spoke, this and more you can do also. I mean, it's, you're right. empowering, you you are empowering, you know, and this is the grace that, that, you know, was bestowed on you because I, you know, they, whoever they are, and we'll talk about that in a moment, um, they knew that you would be able to handle this, to teach others, to bring people to this awareness and empower them and then walk on to the next place that you're guided to go and you know it takes grace and it takes trust to do what you're doing and you know just very grateful but but let's take this to um i don't even this is this you know i prepare for interviews and then i just listen and what i keep hearing is um to ask you there and and if if you don't want to go in this direction all you have to do is say uh no cindy (laughs) but everywhere that i am going it doesn't matter what state. It doesn't matter. It, it's the UFO, the extraterrestrials, the extra, the the different levels of consciousness that are so around and prevalent. The interdimensional. Can you explain this at all, or or just take this just and see what what you would like to share with us? Well, here's my understanding that I've come to. We all exist on all planes, all dimensions simultaneously. And as we, you know, as I say, time, time is not linear. Time is, time is simultaneous. Everything is happening at once. You know, um, we can let go of the old business cards that people used to use saying that they, they, they give past life readings. It's, it's simultaneous life readings. There's no more deja vu. It's simultaneous if we allow ourselves to understand and recognize this. And so we, as we recognize here, most of us recognize we're here existing on Earth. Then we start to recognize something else. So someone at my seminar will come up to me and go, oh, I'm a Palladian or I'm Syrian, you know, and, and it's like, I mean, from Sirius, not from Syria. And I, I I'll know. go back to. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I know. And, and, and I'm saying, you know, that's the part that you're allowing yourself to see. But there's more to who we are as we access this work. There's more to who we are. So it's like we view things out of different windows. We view our various religions, for example. We we view onto spirituality through the religions of our our windows. You know, um, we grow up looking through one window. Maybe it shows a synagogue or a church or a mosque. Another shows a river or a mountain or a stream. We argue over whose window is right instead of recognizing that if we start to look out of all windows, we're going to see there are more pictures to it. But even if we look out of every window, we'll never see the whole picture because each window is limited by the window frame and the view is further limited by the wall that supports the frame. So only once we're willing to all go outside, hold hands, have a party in the roof, can we see 360 degrees in all directions. The person on the roof who brings their window frame up is the only one with a limited view. We teach how to transcend technique, and the only person who can't bring this through as fully is the person who tries to add technique to it, to add their window frame to this. So what we've been accessing here so far has been energy healing because we've been living in a four-dimensional world where everything has been energy. In quantum physics, they often illustrate this as a bubble. They say... Imagine this tiny little bubble in this huge, vast, endless, multidimensional universe. And we've been existing in our tiny little bubble, the wall or the cell of this bubble or this balloon, 
has been comprised of height, width, depth, and time. And the interior, just as we've been taught, has been energy. So when we focus in with our energy healing techniques, each one focuses in on a different subset of energy, like each window focuses in on a subset of the universe. Our first step is to transcend technique entirely so we can access the entirety of the energy. That's a gift we've always had access to. It's not new, but here comes what's new. What's new is a gift of today that we didn't have access to before because time, as, as I'm sure you're aware, is moving faster, not just linearly, but time is moving faster in all directions at once. Time is opening up. Time is expanding. So if you visualize our little bubble or balloon in this vast end endless universe as expanding, then what would happen if you filled an, uh, a balloon with more and more air? You allowed it to expand. The wall or the cell of the balloon or the bubble would become thinner and thinner, more um, permeable. So the energy that's been within can also access that, what, that which has been without. What has been existing outside of our bubble of time is now able to come in. We're actually allowing time to become more real by allowing time, as we recognize it, to be an illusion, to become more of an illusion, to, in essence, disappear and access more of what's existed outside of time. So it's not old, because it hasn't been here. It's timeless, but it is new as it's here for the first time. And so we move beyond subsets of energy with technique. We move beyond the entirety of energy by simply transcending technique. And the reward is we move into aspects of light and information that many of the scientists say has not been here before. That six studies, six international studies so far, have shown that as we reconnect with ourselves, these reconnective healing frequencies actually restructure, or as I like to say, reconnect, our very DNA raises the level of coherent light vibration from it. You know, it, it's, it's, it's fabulous that people are starting to understand this, and some people still, even, even when they've seen it, they're still, you know, like on the outsides of it, but they're still impacted by it, which is one of the things that I really like about um, your new book where you are um, sharing all of the different messages that have come through, um, you know, the sessions, the, the, the group of 50, which you call Aaron, um, but then um, it seems Frederick Ponsloff has been, um, the, he's the one who was called Solomon, am I correct? Well, no, as it's it's like this. There was this intelligence that was speaking through one voice of the intelligence. One, it's a group of intelligences, and one intelligence, one voice started coming through, had been coming through Fred and coming through my other patients, which we called Aaron. At a certain point in time, after three months, it stopped coming through everyone except Fred. As Aaron continued to come through, we were introduced to a second voice, which we named Solomon. At a later point in time, a third voice came through at times, at moments. But for simplicity, we've named the collective entity to be Solomon. And, and when you listen to what's being spoken, to what's being said, Solomon doesn't give advice. Solomon doesn't give answers. Solomon gives insights, gives 
information that allows us to understand more and yet continue to ask yet greater questions. Solomon speaks in prose and yet it's poetic and it's beauty. You know I have an idea. Instead of trying to explain this, how about if I read a little sample of it? You know, that's funny. I was going to read page 75, chapter 13, but you choose whatever. I mean, we're on the same wavelength, I thought. <laughs> but but you might, okay. you might well, find something more perfect. I, I just picked something up that came from 1996, which, which I think is really quite beautiful. Okay. I think it's all quite beautiful. Solomon begins his sessions by speaking. He doesn't ask the questions. And we need to recognize that when Solomon was first speaking, he was speaking to me specifically, but not me, Eric Pearl, the human being. Me, Eric Pearl, who was being offered the opportunity, or you could say the challenge, who he knew was going to bring a consciousness through, insights through. But today, we are each being given this challenge. So you need to hear these words speaking to you. Here comes something. We are now here to understand your desire. We feel your energy forwarding toward the universe. We are here now to represent a deeper understanding of that which is. We will begin this session by allowing ourselves to recognize the greatness that dwells within each one of us. We need only begin this by allowing our senses to be cleared of a formality. We need to address this in a very direct way by first releasing those energies that are thwarting our experience, our force, and we can allow this to happen by recognizing that our life is eternal, for we are now connected to a much greater self, and in that moment, we release a force that connects us to that greater power. In the process of that thought, we connect to that which is. We need only believe in our soul that we are there, and we will be there, a clear channel in which to express the deepest part of our lives. Your soul is eternal in its manifestation. It is here now for the express purpose of recognizing the greater self that we are. We reach this by allowing ourselves to feel that force as it comes through our expression, our expression being our manifestation in this physical form. It is an expression that we have chosen, not unlike a mask of sorts, that we choose to wear in this plane. We give it a deeper inner expression as we connect our soul to the greater universe. In that way, we feel the forces that propel life in its most basic nature, its most finite, infinite particle of energy force. Um, you mustn't feel that you are apart from it or not in sync with the rhythms that flow through you. They are conjoined to the forces of many others and ultimately flow in the same river. The nature in which these forces flow determines the quality of expression in this mask, as it were. And you must coordinate those forces to be free on their own volition, that they have their own guiding light that will seek their own path. They automatically know the way home. You must give them license to be free to find it. Wow. And that was in 1996. Mm-hmm. It's timeless. It's like watching an I Love Lucy episode. It's timeless. You know... Everything that you're saying, I mean, 1996 is when a lot of people started waking up. And, you know, I can remember I did the first holistic conference that Spirit Seeker ever did in 1996, and we did 27 in the next 15 years. At that time, 
people would say, what what is Reiki? People barely even knew massage. Massage was something that was done in some seedy place that, you know, they didn't understand mm-hmm. the therapeutic. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. And you, when you look, we've come from 1996, what you just shared, you know, talking about the particles and how the cellular, you know, the cellular DNA, RNA, all of it can be changed in a flash, just like that. Like, multi-generational healing in, in, in like a nanosecond, like, Every this is this is what this light is like when you know the awareness comes and all of a sudden something that's been seeded through generation after seed thought through generation after generation and it's just gone in this holy instant. That's awe. That's it. That's it right there. And um, you know, I, I loved how you said people kept saying, "When is your second book going to come out?" And you're like, "When it's time." <laughs> Yeah, no, what I said was, well, here's the deal. Here's here's the deal. First of all, I was never a student, never did my homework. My mother spent more time in the school because of me than out of it. Um, I I don't know how to study. I don't like to read. She always says to me, stop telling people you don't like to read. I don't. Don't like to read, don't know how to organize, didn't know how to write a book, and all of a sudden, someone... Sent, took a recording of when I gave a little talk about healing and sent it into Hay House Publishers. <laughs> I said, please do not do that. But it was too late. It went, and they contacted me to write a book. I said, you've got to be crazy. Write a book. How do you write a book? They said, we'll give you a formula. So the first portion of the book is the discovery of this work and my history a little bit growing up. The second portion is the science, the philosophy, the understanding of it to that point. The third portion is a basic how-to. Now, I want to be careful when I explain that the third portion of the book is a basic how-to. It's basic. It teaches you how to access this work on a personal level, maybe for yourself or your family or your friends. It's just like reading a book on hairstyling or dentistry. It does not entitle you to hang a shingle that says you're a hairstylist or a dentist, but you will take better care of your own hair and teeth and that of your family. That's what this level is like. You definitely wants to go to a dentist or a hairstylist who had hands-on work under the guidance of teachers to learn how to perfect and hone their craft. And that's what we teach in the Reconnected Healing Seminars. But it is a basic thing. So the book comes out. Everything is so funny around me. Things just, you know, often start from the beginning. Huge. And one of the first public places where I was on stage, believe it or not, was Madison Square Garden. Blew out the sound system. The book was just released, like weeks before, and everyone keeps coming up to me afterwards saying, when's your new book? When's your next book? And I said, when I recover from writing this one. <laughs> so that lasted for about a year or two, and then it was starting to get old. So people would say, when's your next book? And I told them the truth. I said, you know, when I have something else to say. Because the truth of the matter is, is how many books have you read you know, the the second book, the third book, where it's warmed over oatmeal with the first book. Who needs to read the same thing again? And I said, you know, read the book a second or a third time because every time you read The Reconnection, there's more we discover. We don't know how we even missed it in the first place. Even when I open the book to a page, I'll read a paragraph or something. I'll go, hmm, that's really pretty good. I can't believe I wrote that. <laughs> but then... Then finally, 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 after holding on to this material from Solomon over the past maybe 19, close to 20 years, I got in touch with Fred and I said, I think it's time. 
Now, to tell you the truth, people say to me, why didn't you release it earlier? I don't know. I don't know why. I guess it wasn't time on some level of understanding that wasn't mine. It wasn't me sitting there in judgment going when the people are ready because my belief is you don't wait for the people to be ready for information. Your responsibility is to get people ready for information by sharing it. But there was some reason that it was supposed to happen now, not later and not sooner. And so here it is. And I just have to trust as I do that the intelligence of call it God, call it love, call it the universe, knew, knows, and orchestrated this to perfection. Yeah. And it is orchestrating it to perfection. Yeah, this this new book is beautiful. And listeners, the name of this book is Solomon Speaks on Reconnecting Your Life. Um, and I'm just going to read a, just a couple of different parts here. The first one is from Solomon, and he says, Your job is to open doors. Their job is decide is to decide whether they have the courage to walk through them. I like that. It's like you know, it's up to the individual to to accept and and you know, it's it's. Do you want to walk through it? Yes or no. Do you have the courage? Yes or no. And there's no investment. It's just here. Here's this opportunity, so to speak. Now so, you notice the simple. You notice the simple elegance with which that was expressed, and I'm sure that a lot of people listening to this program who practice healing are going, oh, yes, absolutely, oh, yes, absolutely. But are they willing to look at themselves? Because a lot of those people saying, oh, yes, absolutely, are not doing that. They are opening the door with one hand and trying to shove the person through with their other hand. They're going, oh, you didn't get the healing you want? Your headaches are still there? You still can't move your arm? Well, let's try to break that healing about this way. Let's try to bring the healing about that way. That's not what we're supposed to do. That's us overstepping our bounds. It sounds nice to get rid of someone's headaches. So we're sure they desire it. Their mother desires it. Their sister desires it. We desire it. But the reality is, is when we open the door with one hand and we try to push them through with the other hand, we cheat them out of their growth from the courage, from the choice of discovering it, and we cheat ourselves out of being able to witness the true beauty, the perfection of the healing, which might have already happened, and we blinded ourselves, Tom, because we've only allowed ourselves to see the result we had in mind. And so the excuse we give ourselves is we say, what if the healing didn't work? And we're not asking what if the healing didn't work. We're asking what if they didn't get the results they were looking for. And you know what? Different people might need their healings, their illness, rather to give love or to get love for their own lessons, for the lessons of others. We don't know why that is, and it's not up to us to make that determination. So do we have the courage, the integrity of what it takes for us to stand there say, I am beautifully holding this door open for you, and I am here patiently waiting to see what discoveries you receive and what discoveries I learn from recognizing the healing of the bigger picture. And that that is the true love and compassion. And you know, it's not detachment. It's it's well, maybe it is detachment, but well, really, it's not. It's it, it is love. But it, yeah, but it's but a high level of detachment. Right. It's a you know we think of detachment as being a cold indifference. It isn't. A detached state of observation without judgment is what we do when we open the door and we allow 
for the growth of the experience by itself. We think of attachment, or we think of love as feeling someone's pain and immersing ourselves in the problems and taking on their symptoms. That's not the highest form of healing by any measure. Imagine, for instance, give kids, give children. Oh, I have three, and I've raised four, okay. um, four, four others. So, yes. So, yeah, imagine, <laughs> for instance, your kids are old enough where they know their way around the kitchen a little bit, and it's a Sunday morning, and they've decided to take the pancake mix and a few other things and make you a breakfast, and you trust that they know how to do it. But suddenly you're upstairs, you smell smoke, and you hear screaming. You run downstairs. There was a little bit of a grease fire. They made a mistake. They threw water on it. It got bigger. They're screaming. They're crying. Do you really want to take that moment to scream and cry and feel their pain and be in it with them? Or would you like to rise, and I'm using that word consciously, rise to a higher level of detached love for them, one that's so pure that doesn't allow you the luxury of immersing yourself in their emotions, but swoops them out to safety. You call 911, and then when everyone's safe, if you want to, you can hug and cry together. Right. It's, it's you know, I was a nurse for many years, so I know exactly what you're talking about, and it's, you know, in mother mode or it doesn't matter, any mode, you go in and you just channel the highest thought in that moment for all concerned, highest thought for all concerned, and you just, you can't think about the rest of it. You know, it's, yeah, there, I understand. That's a really good example. And, you know, I don't know why this is coming to mind, but it's here to share. You know, when my mom, um, my mother was dying, and, you know, and she was ready to go. I mean, she was, she, you know, she was just totally ready. And I remember saying to her, you know, she wouldn't let, she would she would allow me to work on her, but many of my friends and peers were offering to work on her. And she's like, no, no, they might try and make me stay. And I, I don't want to be healed. I don't want to stay. And I said, Mom, you're like a free choice. I said, anyone that would come and work with you would honor that free will. I said, no one, and I'll make it very clear that if there is any of that, that, you know, they need to let that go, that it's just for, to make you more comfortable. And she said, they'd really do that? And I said, absolutely. And so that was, you know, part of it. But then at the end, you know, you, you still want your mom to still be here. And there was a grandchild sure. about to be born. And I'm like, Mom, don't you want to, you know, stay until your next grandchild's born? And she said, you know, Cindy, there's always going to be a grandchild, a birthday, a holiday. There's always these things. And she said, sometimes you just have to let it all go. She said, you just know when it's time. And she said, I'm ready. And, you know, my mother taught me so much in that, you know, like, just understanding that each person, you know, I love the way you expressed it, that, you know, someone may be getting their whole life purpose out of their illness and, and to give that up would be, you know, that's their business. It's not our business. You know, our business is to be the light. And, you know, I love how this book, Solomon Speaks on Reconnecting Your Life, talks about this, you know, take that time, you know, to tune into yourself you know, not being invested. Allow yourself to believe in your ability and it will surface for you. I mean, all each chapter is just so incredibly sweet with the information. And, um, I mean, this one you could reread again. It's like your first book. But especially this one. This one, you know, you each chapter is like, you know, I love the part problems are not problems. They are lessons to be learned and all the information that came through in that chapter. And, you know, these are discourses. These are These are beautiful 
beautiful discourses that you have brought to all of us through through taking on saying yes i will I will do this I mean even though you know it's just so funny that you went from being this chiropractor hugely successful I mean I could feel it i and I've been a chiropractic patient for like thirty three years and so you know I know I know that realm and I have done chiropractic consulting back in the day a long time ago and you know when I looked at that and I thought and he said okay I will go down this path that I'm not sure, but yes, I'll accept it. You know, and when I teach Reiki, it's like, you know, when they talk about Master Yusui, 21 days out there meditating, and then on the 21st day, this white light hurtling, you know, and the whole story with it, and he's like, it's either going to kill me or I'm going to accept it. And he said, okay, I'm going to accept it. You know, and it was ancient, ancient knowledge that had been here before, but nonetheless, someone had to bring it back and, and rediscover it and rekindle it. And what you're doing is beyond what, you know, people on the planet have understood up until now and you're making it normal <laughs> this is you know <laughs> what i mean it, it's it like is normal <laughs> it is see, I know. See, see on one hand this was something i'd never experienced before and on the other hand i also recognized it was more familiar than anything i'd ever be known before you know there's something really fun i, I want to share with you because I'm, I'm excited about this you know fred is relatively fred ponsop the co-author of solomon speaks has been relatively quiet in this world, in this arena, but we've we've got him to come to the seminar that we're giving in Newport Beach, and he's going to give a two-hour presentation during our weekend reconnective healing seminar. I'm really excited about that because we only have five more seminars until the end of the year. We're, We're teaching reconnective healing in Newport Beach, November 1 through 3, in Toronto, November 8 through 10, London, November 20 through 22 to 24, Sydney, Australia, November 29th through December 1, and Mexico City, December 6th through 8. But only at this one in in Newport Beach, November 1 through 3, we're going to have Fred there to give a live channeling, and um, we'll take questions and answers about what's going on. I think we're going to let people bring some of their own questions and see which one Solomon chooses to address during the channeling in Newport Beach also. Wonderful. What a gift. What a gift. You know, and, and listeners, I want to give you two websites um, for Dr. Eric Just Pearl. one, actually. Oh, Why okay. Don't, you let's, you let's, give let's it. Just the, okay. Uh, there are two websites, but to get where the, the information is the fullest and the clearest for everything, you really want to go to www.thereconnection.com. You want to include the word the, thereconnection.com. It gives us the international schedule of seminars around the world, and um, every seminar, obviously, I speak in English, but I think the Newport Beach one will probably be simultaneous, and, of course, Mexico City will be simultaneously translated into Spanish to make it more accessible, and in every country we go to, we have simultaneous translation into that language as well. Isn't it amazing? I mean, I have I have been in many different uh, seminars over the years where, you know, you'll have six translators or four translators. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, in, in the healing work, you know, it, it's everyone gets it. It's like, I mean, everyone here you were with headsets around tables, you know, all these different languages, and yet through the ethers, there it all is. And it's like, and there's just like this knowingness. And, you know, it's it's just wonderful, isn't it? I mean, this magical time we are living in. And... Oh, I mean, it's uh, when you accept 
and you're just like, okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, starting off in nursing, I just, I didn't last really long in nursing. I, I think it was about six years, and I just realized that, you know, there was way more to healing than I than than was here. You know, I mean, I knew when I would touch people, you know, giving them their back rub at night. I was one of the few nurses that did that, and and then all of a sudden their story would come out, you know, through that touch that that touch and all of a sudden you'd find out what was really going on in their lives you know and not just the symptoms and you know the the physical thing you'd really get to the to the other parts and and there is a holistic medical association you know for nurses who like to take it outside yeah. of straight, straight linear nursing yeah, now there is, you know. I mean, and I remember that was in the early 80s that that started. And, I, and, and I, you know, but I was nursing back in the 70s. And at that time, there just wasn't, you know, anything yet. But but you're right. I mean, you know, that we, we, we have so many different people that are connecting the medical community. And the medical community is awake, you know, some of them. I mean, you know, you look, you look at the afterlife work, you know, the afterlife conferences and all the different things that are happening because there's different realms of consciousness. And, you know, the work, you know, that Greg Braden and so many other scientists and other things, you know, I mean, we're, these are marvelous times. And with the Internet, everything is there, you know. It's a touch away. And, you know, I love how Greg Braden talks about, like, the same thing will happen in six different parts of the world. And, you know, and it's all it all is discovered at the same time. Now, how did that happen? Consciousness. Well, of course. It's, it's from consciousness. And it's from consciousness. It's awareness. It's It's us learning to um, speak together and share. For instance, um, I'm speaking at the Energy Psychology Conference in um, Toronto, where a lot of the psychologists are involved in this work, but not all of them. There are only some. So I'm speaking there, I think, October 25 through 27. And my brother's a psychologist. You know, this is not his thing. He thinks it's a little funny. (laughs) He thinks it's... It's a little bit odd, and, and, and for him it is. There's a university in Honolulu, I forget what it's called, but um, I've been invited to become a member of their faculty there, and I'm speaking at the World Congress of Quantum Medicine in Honolulu. I think it's the very last weekend of this month. And um, speaking with you know other great people who will be there, I think it will be Joe Dispenza, as I recall, it will be... Lynn McTaggart, the author of The Field. I love that book. And it'll be Amit Goswami, who's a wonderful quantum physicist, very spiritual in his approach and his explanation of things. And it'll be the four of us giving a presentation in Honolulu. Fabulous. This is just fabulous. And, you know, I'm just grateful, you know, that you were able to find the time to to still give through interviews because so many people listen and they re-listen. And listeners, remember, this is blog talk. This is the beautiful part of this radio platform. This uh, show is archived. You can send it, the tag, you can just send people right to the interview. They download it. We have people, you know, we know people are listening because, you know, we we get the stats. And, you know, we just really want to, you know, thank everyone for letting people know about the wonderful interviews that are here. And today is a special one. I I had to wait almost three months. You were so busy. (laughs) So (laughs) I published about your book, I guess, about three months ago on Spirit Seeker. And then, you know, but but it was like, okay, on this particular day, he's available at this particular time. I'm like, fabulous you know and so but i still let people know about about the book because you know i knew it was important and timely and so we've supported about three different months here and you know i just can't thank you enough i'm i'm so grateful for um 
you know, to have had the privilege of of uh, helping you get the word out about all of the different work that you're doing, and you know, the book, this new book that you have have uh, provided for all of us to to reconnect in a different way. So, Dr. Eric Pearl, thank you, thank you very much. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Okay. All right. Good night, everyone. Have a beautiful day. Bye. Amen.